Hello and welcome to And The Winner Was. My name is Joel Winstead and this is my journey. I am watching every Best Picture winner in order, starting in 1927 with Wings. With each episode, I'll be covering a different film with a different guest. With me today for the fifth time, it's Dalen Lowell of the Faded Real and the Faded Real Podcast. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for coming back. Keep getting you back here. Um, today we're talking My Fair Lady. Uh, 1964 Best Picture winner uh, about a 1910s London snobbish phonetics professor Henry Higgins is eager to uh, agrees to uh, a wager that he can make the crude flower girl Eliza Doolittle presentable in high society starring the amazing Audrey Hepburn Rex Harrison Stanley Holloway Wilfred Hyde White written by Alan J Lerner from the play by George Bernard Shaw directed by George Kukor nominated for 12 Academy Awards, winner of eight. Um, what's your history with this? <laughs> well, like we were talking about with Gigi and a lot of the other musicals we discussed in several episodes before, My Fair Lady is one of those movies that I saw a lot when I was younger. So much to the point where it was kind of like an instrumental part of my childhood in so yeah. many ways. So... This movie, getting to have an excuse to watch it again is always a joy because not only does it remind me of like childhood Sundays with my grandparents eating French bread pizzas, but it yeah. also just reminds me of like the pink, um, I don't know what format you watch this on, but the pink VHS tape yeah, box yeah, set yeah. that it came in, like that I have a lot of nostalgia for because I looked at that in my grandparents' like uh, uh, living room. So, you know, all of those, like, comfy, cozy feelings, that's what uh, Learner yeah. and Lores do for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've loved musicals. And, you know, growing up, you know, I've talked about on the podcast that I was a very sheltered kid and wasn't allowed to watch many um, movies. Um, and so mm -hmm. I, I liked musicals. And so I came to them later in life with, like, more modern musicals. And as I gotten older i have um kind of started to relive and, and go back and watch the golden age of hollywood ones and um these og uh musicals and i um i watched this for the first time uh, a couple years ago and just absolutely fell in love with it just loved it so much it was right in the vein of what i would learn to know of 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 what I love, which is Alan J. Lerner, which would be, you know, American in Paris and Gigi. And, um, and so this was kind of right up my alley. And so, you know, watching this and, and being, knowing that was coming up and, and being excited to watch it again. Um, it was great. It was a pleasure because, you know, I was talking about it in one of my last episodes, but, you know, leading up to this, like in the, the late sixties, late fifties, early sixties, Things in Hollywood, especially like through the lens of Best Picture winners, the landscape is starting to change. You know that you had, you know, Ben Hur in the apartment, and then then West Side Story's like in there, and then Lawrence of Arabia and Tom Jones, which is like a crazy ass movie um, that really pushed the envelope in a lot of different ways. And then then right after Tom Jones, you have My Fair Lady, which is like like a whiplash, like back to the old Hollywood, back to the you know, kind of the musical that kind of started off the Academy Awards with Broadway Melody and all that. And then, and then next, next, the next year is the sound of music, 
Um, and then it just starts getting crazy once you get in the late sixties and seventies and things kind of start taking off from there. But, um, you know, these, these next two, aside from like Oliver, which sneaks in like 1968, but my fair lady and the sound of music kind of an, an end of an era, so to speak, as far as these big, um, uh, these musicals getting such prestige, you know? Definitely. And also like, it's such an interesting reflection of how, the big budget musical movie just in general pop culturally was kind of both in its peak and it wasn't right. really gonna ever hit that really right. ever again because i don't know if you look into this stuff but this is something that i get really interested in is the entire concept of um the roadshow style theatrical presentation where they right. would um release these movies as if they were Broadway shows that were touring across the country mm-hmm. and show them in these huge, huge theaters mm-hmm. to make it like this premium Broadway-esque experience where you would get a Right, a playbill, playbook. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, just the notion of that combined with these movies that genuinely felt of the scale of that kind of presentation. I think it's just something that we're never really going to get anymore. And maybe the closest thing we'll ever get to that is like the new Wicked movie that's coming out. I think that might be the closest. Otherwise, no. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I mean, because, you know, coming up is going to be the Vietnam War and America and all of its creative people are going to be so jaded for the next decade you know yeah and then also art you know right and then also like we're gonna have gene kelly direct the adaptation of hello dolly which was made like in the you know style of these musicals that did win academy awards right and then it just kind of fumbled and it yeah, didn't really yeah. do anything you know right and you know it's so it kind of like the, and that was just like another nail in the coffin of these like big Broadway show tune kind of things, you know? Um, but I mean, if it's going to go out, you know, my fair lady and, and uh, sorry, my dog is just acting a fool. <laughs> he keeps no. attacking the dog's me. like, I want to be on the podcast. It Why is can't absolutely I be? <laughs> insane. He's being a menace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the one-two punch of of My Fair Lady and, and Sound of Music kind of like closing that door, and and again, like you know, Oliver squeaks in, um, and, and then much, much, much later on the road, Chicago, I think, would be the next after. I think after Oliver is Chicago. So yeah, I mean, it's, I'm pretty it's crazy sure. that that like it used to be like a staple of like Academy Awards and prestige, and that kind of just goes away. Um, wouldn't be able to talk about musicals. And these these amazing leading ladies without talking about Marnie Nixon, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the voiceover dubber <laughs> who steals my joy and dubs over uh, Audrey Hepburn in this. Um, well, I, let, let's let's make sure though to clarify that it's not Marnie's fault. It's no, the it's not. Fault. <laughs> it's the studio's fault. But I, she will remain my nemesis. But you know, <laughs> I, but I knew that going in. You know, so I, I knew it wasn't Audrey singing, except for like maybe a couple of little things. Um, right. But there is on YouTube, you can go and you can listen to the Audrey Hepburn cuts of some mm-hmm. of these songs. They have them, 
and it's not it's not that bad. Um, the, she, the when she sings "Loverly," I love that song, but she sings that and and it's it's really good. Like it's and I would say like comparable or even you know just as good. But when she sings yeah. with that young dude, with um, yeah. with uh, with Bill Shirley, like, yeah, or William yeah. Brett, William Brett, he and he was dubbed by um, Sleeping Beauty. What's his name? Prince Philip, Bill Shirley. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but that that was rough, and then I was like, okay, I can see the studio, you know. <laughs> well, the the decision. thing. Yeah, well, the, the thing that I think is so fascinating about that aspect, especially when it comes to Audrey Hepburn, is that, you know, we're about to talk, our next movie is Sound of Music, right? And that same yeah. time frame, the public knows My Fair Lady primarily because who played Eliza right. on Broadway. Exactly, exactly. You know, but a certain songbird who would later star in The Sound of Music. And right. to have Julie Andrews be the, you know, cultural kind of, I guess you could say, blueprint of what Eliza is supposed to sound like and have yeah. her played by an actress who is incredible. Like, you know, Audrey Hepburn's amazing, but vocally, she is not Julie Andrews. You know. No, well, so when Jack Warner acquired the film rights to this, he replaced Julie Andrews with Audrey Hepburn, and like the public crazy. was outraged. <laughs> like everyone loved Andrews on Broadway. Like Alan J. Lerner broke the news door when when Andrews had moved to to the production of Camelot, um, mm -hmm. and and he's like, I wanted to, I wanted you to do it, Julie, but they they wanted a name. Which is insane because I mean Julie Andrews, you know, would be such a big name, you know. Um, just yeah, because Julie Andrews is iconic, you know, right. and it, it's amazing to think that there was a time ever when someone would be like, "No, Julie Andrews isn't meant for the movie adaptation of this like iconic piece of you know music." Like it's yeah. just it's so bizarre to think about that. And that whole the whole thing was kind of a cluster because so Audrey Hepburn signed on to the movie under the auspice of of recording the music and and it being her and she trained mm -hmm. for it and everything and when she was told that her voice wasn't strong enough that she had to be dubbed she walked out and they had this like stop production that day but she came back the next day and was very graceful and apologized for her wicked behavior um, <laughs> uh, and, and and rolled with it, you know, probably because they talked about her contract and they're like, uh, you're doing this. But yeah, you know, she 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 said later that she would never have accepted the role had she known that um they were gonna be dubbing her. Um and she didn't appear in another musical unless she could do the singing on her own. That was a stipulation from then on out. So she I was mean, like she was really hurt by it, you know. Yeah, and she has every right to because like you were saying before that she has these moments in the clips that are available of her original vocal tracks that mm -hmm. she sounds, you know, perfectly fine singing those songs, especially the 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 songs that are more like caricature based where she's supposed to sound more like cartoony and zany and right, you know, yeah. more exaggerated. She mm -hmm. she does a great job with. But I could see why they would then for like continuity reasons not want to then right. have like not have it be one singular vocal performance the entire right. movie. It's very clearly it's Audrey Hepburn, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean it, it makes it makes sense. But um yeah. You know, I, I do like, you know, how like in the in some in these modern day musicals that you know, even if they're not like the most amazing 
you know, Broadway built him out. You know, I'm thinking of like Phantom of the Opera with um uh like you know Gerard Butler and 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 um you know um Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. I I kept I kept on wanting to say Chris Patrick for some reason. So, anyways, <laughs> but yeah, like, but like they're not like the most amazing vocalists, but they're still there. And like I, I appreciate that more and it feels more whatever, I guess. Well, and the, the comparison I would use to that point is, of course, our favorite Cyrano. Yeah, Cyrano. Let's look at Peter Dinklage because right. he, you know, like we were saying in eventually the podcast episode where we talk about Cyrano yeah. on my podcast, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, Peter Dinklage has this sort of Tom Waits sounding voice. Right, right. And it's not a Broadway, you know, golden eyed tenor kind of voice that you're used right. to hearing. Right. So I I also appreciate that a lot, but you know that that also doesn't work for the material. And as someone who's a musical purist, I am not a fan of let's say the Gerard Butlers and the Russell Crows of casting in musicals. Personally. I just I, I I think that I I would rather I would rather have that. I would rather have the Gerard Butlers. And I'd rather have the Russell Crows, even though you you can tell that they're not. You know, it's not their strength, but mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe maybe Russell Crowe, maybe maybe I won't back that one up. <laughs> yeah, don't don't back up Russell Crowe. I, I, I can I understand I can from a perspective people having some sort of, I guess, kinship and admiration for Gerard Butler because like, you know, fan of the opera was supposed to be like a rock and roll style sure. character yeah. initially. Yeah. So him having like a more gritty rock voice is okay. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, with Russell Crowe, no. I, mean, I don't I, even know what he was doing. Big, it's we, a big we, we would never have that amazing gif where he's like staring through the window with the right. rain. <laughs> Which yeah, that's true. Uh, but, but back to back to my fair lady. I do think that Audrey Hepburn is great in this role. I don't. You know, I'm sure Julie Andrews crushed it. Um, but I think that Audrey Hepburn has the right energy. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that the whole like uh, ugly duckling thing, I think it really works, especially in someone in, in Audrey Hepburn's situation because they really roughed her up and they put that terrible wig on her um, and got her all dirty. And then, you know, she steps... She goes down the steps to go to the horse race. She's looking like a s absolute snack. Like she, mm -hmm. you know, like they really nail that whole thing. And you know, I'm sure. I mean, Julie Andrews is, is a beautiful woman. And I'm sure that they could, you know, do the same thing. Although in the sound of music, she's pretty much the ugly talking the whole time with that Lloyd Christmas haircut. But um, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I do like. I mean, I love Audrey Hepburn, and and um, I don't know. I don't know if I could imagine this role without her, you know? It's true. And I think the thing that this role, if, if there's anything that I take away from this particular performance of hers is that mm -hmm. we as a collective culturally do not appreciate her as a comedian enough. She's and good. And she's hilarious yes. in this movie. Yes. And, and of course, like, you know, the, the, the iconic musical moments, even if it's not her singing them vocally most of the time, mm -hmm. you get and see the passion that she puts in those, and those are amazing. But the, the moments where she really shines mm -hmm. are, like, the physical and vocal comedic moments, yes. especially towards the first act of the movie. Like, the scene when she, which, by the way, is a scene that 
it sometimes makes me really uncomfortable is the scene the where shower like shower scene. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but she's amazing. It's so great. It. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it is kind of uncomfortable. She's like, I'm yeah. a good girl. I'm a good girl. Um <laughs> you know, and as someone who's seen that this musical on Broadway in several uh productions, especially mm. like the recent revival, which I do want to talk about later when we get to like yeah. talking about the story Please. overall and how it goes and whatnot yeah. but um getting to see that musical several times again to see that scene played out several times you need someone that has like such a loud broad comedic presence yeah. and she nails that yeah. to perfection like absolute yeah. perfection I've, I've i've been taken to to that she does that whole like oh that like <laughs> the, that little noise she makes or the big noise she makes, I've been catching myself doing that because it's I don't know it's just it's so endearing it's such a great you know I wonder if that was like an Audrey thing or if that was a, a script thing or something that they came up with when they were talking about the character and I don't know she gets so disgusted especially with with Higgins but um, yeah that that um, mannerism is definitely in like the the show itself like in the. Okay productions yeah, but yeah. it's more about the actress that's playing them who like enunciates them to sure. a certain degree and i think audrey hepburn makes it her own and that's why like that's probably mm. my favorite iteration of that aspect of eliza yeah sure. and that's you know that's just alan j Lerner knowing you know just being a, a great writer and yeah. knowing what's going on but um so we talked a lot about audrey hepburn so i want to talk about rex um so you know me in my when I watch movies and I'm like, this person gay, <laughs> and like, uh, I know there's a lot of you know there's a lot of like fan fiction out there of like Higgins and and um, <laughs> Higgins and and uh, the Colonel. Oh, um, Colonel Pickering. Oh, interesting. Not necessarily I being didn't a know couple. That. Not, not being like a couple, but just like being obviously they're like you know bachelors and, and all that and they want to mm. be left alone but there's that song about why can't why can't she just be more like a man or something along mm -hmm. those lines or whatever i don't know there's just a couple of things in there where i mean he's he's is he a misogynist is he classist is he gay or is it like you know maybe a little bit of everything or six one half dozen the other I mean, for me, I've always interpreted Henry Higgins as just being honestly kind of socially disconnected, you sure. know, right. that he is the sort of character who his intellect is superior and like immensely up there in a whole, you know, realm that us humans cannot, you know, right. get to. Right? right. But for right. all of his intellect, he lacks like just genuine social etiquette and skills. Right. And I think that it translates into, in my opinion, him being a hardcore misogynist. And if there's anything that proves that, it's the song that you just said, you know, right. like about him, you know, wishing that women were more like men because he yeah. doesn't understand them. But it's because... He doesn't want to listen to women, and that right. is kind of the ultimate theme of the show. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, obviously, he's like he's so full of himself, and he thinks that he can. He's so wrapped up in, and if he can, he kind of treats her like an object, like a like a game, right. you know, and, and in which she like rebels against hardcore towards the end. And we'll talk about the ending. 
<laughs> that, um, yeah, I just there there was a couple of times where I was like, mm, I could I can see that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily oh me personally I don't see him as being gay, but I could I could see that you know now that you brought that up, I just more see that he um he's an egotistical misogynist. That is all I see when I look at him. And Right. And that, I mean, that clearly that's comes across and that's, that's how I interpret it when I first watched it. Um, yeah. uh, so here's a, I don't know where you stand on it. So maybe, maybe I'm in the majority and maybe I'm not, but I don't necessarily love that they get together at the end. Yeah, of oh, I hate it. And that's okay. why going to what I wanted to mention. So in the most recent revival for those uh, listeners who have not seen the most recent revival of my fair lady on Broadway, uh, they changed the ending mm-hmm. of the show where instead of her going to him, they say the whole dialogue about the slippers and the right. whole shebang, but she leaves. Good, so, good for her. Yeah. And honestly, like, while I have always loved My Fair Lady in the perspective of that, it's like very like cozy entertainment for me even as a child i never understood how those two could have any sort of romantic connection and why she thought that that was a healthy relationship so there's nothing there that happened yeah (laughs) in the whole movie there was never any kind of like romantic inclinations there was never any like even when she was like like i said like looking like a snack coming down the stairs and in her in like her gowns and stuff like that he was never like blow me down like you know what i mean like he was never he never really kind of had that like moment and there was never like you know i, I think in the sound of music we can talk about that but like there's that i don't necessarily buy their relationship either but there is a couple of moments in there that kind of clue you into kind of any kind of attraction you know especially when they're dancing outside but there was never any kind of moment like that in this film and so the fact that she does kind of go back to him at the end and and I don't know. I, yeah, I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. I think it's terrible. And even Lerner did have wanted nothing to do with it, but people, people were shipping them since the beginning, you know, from, from like the it's a stage play days. Um, right. Well, and I, Lerner and I think, was vehemently opposed to them to, as a couple. Right. Well, and I, I think that's because that, first of all, for, and I'm sure you researched and know this, but obviously this musical is based on the story of Pygmalion, right? Pygmalion, right and right. within that story, that is a very common, you know, direction that that mythology and also that overall story arc goes. That mm. the guy who is the, the, I guess you could say shifter or craftsman of the woman character, they do mm. fall in love because they're like supposed to be I don't know. It's like a weird sort of like looking at your your muse, the thing you created, and falling in love with it, kind of a thing. That's strange. Yeah. But at the same time, what makes for me an interesting thing that I think about when I look at their relationship is how I don't respond to it because I don't think that Audrey, especially in the movie. I don't think that Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison have any sort of chemistry, especially because he is so much older than her, which is the thing that was very common for Audrey Hepburn to be cast with is extremely older men. Mm -hmm. But this is the one that to me looks 
among the ones that looks the most jarring and she looks the most uncomfortable around him the yeah. entire time. She looks like a very young 20 something. He looks like a grandpa. Right. Well, especially because he's in those like those big sweaters. Right. He's wearing like, and, the professor know. thing. Like he, he Higgins <laughs> just feels he feels so aloof, like like a nutty professor, you know, or, or like the dude from Flubber. Like he's so wrapped up in his work and he doesn't he doesn't even see her as a human, let alone as a woman, you know, and it's his project. It's his, she's his pet, you know, and right. And I, just, and, I think and it's truth, a, such a disservice to her. Right. And, and, you know, between like him again, being incredibly misogynistic, treating her like garbage, all that stuff on top of all that, in my opinion, Rex Harrison, it's just kind of the definition of like slimy and smarmy. Like, right. he's not yeah. an attractive man to me, personally, right. even in movies where he's supposed to be much more attractive than he is in this movie. Uh -huh. And that's why, like, I never could understand at all why anyone would want to ship them together, especially when the character's played by Rex Harrison. I just never, right. I never understood that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, it's... I mean, and Rex Harrison, he originated the role, right? He did on Broadway, yeah. yeah so if you so can imagine him looking already really weird with Audrey Hepburn, imagine him looking even more weird with Julie Andrews, who's like oh, I know. the beautiful Bambi sunshine young. girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know who I think would have crushed this role if they were recasting? I think George mm -hmm. Sanders would have been a really... Been oh, a really yeah, he would have been amazing. And the, the guy that I saw... Um, when I saw it on Broadway in the revival I was talking about was one of the guys from Downton Abbey. I don't know if you watch Downton oh, Abbey. I don't, but I, I mean, I'm familiar with the cast. So the guy who was, um, he's in a later seasons, but he was Edith's eventual like love interest husband. He okay. came on and played Henry Higgins all the times that I saw the show. And I thought he was incredible. I thought you were going to say also, Hugh Bonneville, who I think would be good too. He would also have been good, but but yeah. this guy was like in his like you know forties, early late thirties around that age, and okay. I think like that's a better discrepancy age, like ten years sure. older for um, Eliza and uh, Henry, you know, casting wise. Ooh. Do you know what his name? I you know I don't remember off the top of my head, but he. Uh, I'll I'll look him up and we could put him in the show notes or something because yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah no, he's no, really I'm, I'm really just, good. I think that this is I think it's a great story and I think that it's I think it's ripe for a remake and I, I would love to see like a modern sort of iteration of this. It would be hard to get around like the. <laughs> it could be done. It could be done. Um, well, I think compared to what we were talking about earlier with Gigi. Which, by the way, also had a recent Broadway revival that uh, was a huge flop with Vanessa oh, Hudgens. Yeah. Win. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was not good. Um. Uh. Yeah. This. Show, LJ yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Same writers. But I think My Fair Lady contextually still works. Like, even though there's a yeah. lot of things that from that time frame make more sense than modern wise are just very offensive towards women. I still right. think that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good material there. Well for it's it not to like be... misogyny has gone away. You know what I mean? You right. can definitely give 
you know, give the character of Eliza Doolittle much more agency and you could really kind of flesh out that character and focus on that way more than, than the, than the uh, Rex, than the Rex character. The, uh, what's yeah. The then, then Henry Higgins does. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and so to move on to other actors though, cause I don't want to yeah. forget people. Yeah. I feel so bad that I'm forgetting the actor's name specifically, but I'm sure you have the notes in front of you right now, yeah. but the actor who plays Eliza's dad, Oh, okay, Stanley absolute, Holloway. Yep, is my absolute favorite part of this entire he, movie. <laughs> he's, and like controversially, you could cut all of his scenes out essentially, and the movie would be a lot oh, yeah. tighter and it would not yeah. mean anything. But his numbers are <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. a little bit of luck and get me to the church on time are truly the embodiment of Broadway joy for me. Yes. Like, yeah, I agree so much. Yeah. They're just so delightful, so silly, mm -hmm. but so full of the magic that like, first of all, the actor that plays him looks like my grandfather. So okay. every single time I look at this character and this performance, uh -huh. I think of my grandfather because he loved these songs. Yeah. He used to sing them all the time. And there's like, again, there's just something that even though this guy very much in a different way, like Henry Higgins, like very much oh, mistreats his daughter. Total piece of shit. Yeah. 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 yeah it's total, <laughs> it's total garbage. Yeah. He is delightful to watch because yeah, he's he silly. Is. <laughs> yeah. He is very silly. And, and, you know, Stanley Holloway also originated this role. Um, oh, right. Okay. And nominated for um, supporting actor for this role. Um, and he yeah. absolutely deserves it. Yeah, in my humble yeah, opinion. he crushed it. You know, he's st stealing those scenes. Um, honestly, like the main four, like uh, Wilford Hyde, Wilford Hyde White, who plays Colonel Pickering. Um, I thought that he was great too, and and, oh, and yeah, he's fantastic. Played well against Audrey Hepburn too. Uh, I like that. Yeah, a lot. yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, he does a great job of bringing in the warmth and the comfort that. Henry slash Rex lacks. I agree. And yeah, yeah. That's that's when you know you have a good Colonel Pickering overall because I have seen Colonel Pickerings that are just kind of there, like they just kind of exist. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're they're not even though they say all the right things, they're not yeah. doing all the right things mm. acting wise. But I think he does a really great job, as like I said, of bringing in this warmth and this coziness and being a really good ying to Henry's yang. So yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it would have been way too, way just way too cruel. What's happening? Oh my god! <laughs> the the uh, scene with the marbles oh, still <laughs> makes me like gag. The look time. on her face when she <laughs> swallows the one. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Perfect. So good. Yeah. This movie is. It's such like a little. It's like a warm. I call it like a warm hug because it's. Oh it's, yes. It's familiar. It's safe. You know, but it's also it's just so well done, and the music is so. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Um, talking a little bit more about, so Rex Harrison Higgins, the way that he kind of talked his way through the musical numbers, they weren't able to pre-record them and, and have like a limp sync. So they gave, they put wireless microphones. One of the first ever developed um, was very hidden in his ties. Um, oh, interesting. But that meant that his mouth and words were completely in sync and everyone else's looked off since they were lip syncing. 
Um, mm. And so the studio thought it was it was too obvious, so they they had to alter they altered Harrison's soundtrack, lengthening and shortening notes in various places so that his synchronicity is slightly off, like uh, all the other actors and actresses. But um, because of that, this this one. Um, a special award um, or, or, or uh, like a technical award basically for, for kind of pioneering like the lavalier mic, essentially um, there was other, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. There were other, there were other um, kind of, there was technology at the time, but they kind of really um, was one of the first ones that was developed. And I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and it's definitely. a good way for Rex Harrison to make sure he didn't get dubbed either. <laughs> Just to well, sing through, sing talk. So to talk about that specifically, so you know, kind of going back to the conversation we were having about you know unconventional stars who don't necessarily fit the musical mold. You know, when Lerner and Lowe were writing My Fair Lady, they initially weren't like thinking about you know writing these sort of you know sing talky songs mm -hmm. but i believe they specifically wrote them because rec they really wanted rex harrison in this role mm -hmm. and thus they wrote the songs around him so that he's not singing really but he's talking in pitch right and that is uh both a fascinating technique and also a great workaround for someone who technically can't sing even though there are right. parts he melodically sounds like he's kind sure. of singing and it sounds yeah. good. But I wonder know? how much of that is them altering that in the in the in the room there. Um, oh yeah, it could be. <laughs> I have, yeah, I, I have, always found that interesting. <laughs> I have a question and a follow-up question, depending on depending on what you say. Mm. Is this movie too long? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so it's two hours and fifty minutes, which is that's a lot. You know, that's Scorsese level. You know, like that's yeah, it is. But you know what it is is that I think because I was always presented this show, and I'm assuming the majority of people when they saw this was initially released were presented in this way of it being a two act piece. You know, right. because when I watched it on VHS. It was two separate tapes. Yeah, well, you know? I had a, I had an intermission. I watched the 4K. Yeah, yeah, and I I watched the version that's on Paramount Plus, which I guess is also the 4K restoration. Yeah, the they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watching that, it still has the overture. It still has the intermission mm -hmm. and the you know um, I always forget what the music that's like in between the intermission is the interacte or whatever. Oh, it's yeah, called. whatever it says. Yeah, some other French word. E yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think because I've always seen it like that, my brain has always been like, this movie is the perfect length. I would not change it because I know exactly when there's a break, when I right. need to go pee, yeah. when I could come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, since you didn't answer that question right, I think that this movie <laughs> is too long. Well, and... but then but then here's my my rebuttal. Yeah. yeah. Then I guess the musical itself is too long because it's the exact same length yeah. as the musical itself. The, then the musical is too long. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. No, the musical is not too long. The musical is not too long. When you go and you watch a stage production, it's like you're there. That's what you're doing. You know, it's what you're spending your money to do. You're sitting there. You're That's like a whole thing. You know, I wish, you know, mm -hmm. it would be longer and longer. 
But when you're when you're watching a film, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't have anything necessarily again. Like I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon, and that movie is three hours and twenty six minutes long. Um, and I didn't necessarily feel that length. You know, it was it's mm-hmm. you know it's, I don't mind long movies, but this movie I felt like felt a little long, and I don't know what I would because I would hate to cut any of um, any of uh, Mister Doolittle's songs. You know, uh, Alfred. Um, Alfred P. Doolittle, but I also, you know, if there was something to cut, you know, the the I'm getting married in the morning song, nah, that doesn't really add anything to the story. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like his little thing. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think you could trim it. I think it could be trimmed. That might be blasphemy. My- Right. Well, what I would offer as what could be trimmed, because I always think these are the songs that feel the most unnecessary to me, or they go on too long, are the uh, the Rex Harrison songs. Well, the the household staff singing about like you oh, know sure. Henry Higgins taking too long, or he's right, right, like, right, right. You don't need well, like Higgins, three or four, yeah. right. You don't need like three or four reprises of that. Like suppose, over and yeah. over again. Yeah. And you he, also don't need multiple reprises of like when it be loverly, like interludes of like, you know, people walking through the streets and you hearing that. You don't need yeah. those, in yeah. my opinion. Uh, and those are some great shots too, though, like where they would they would kind of like they would be like an overhead shot of like the studio. Um, and you would see the people kind of bustling in the city streets, but they would like pause, you know, and then they yeah. would you know, oh, that's that's great little Little well, and touches. also like the unraveling of the flowers, like and the right. you know Covent Gardens, like oh that that stuff I love. But from a musical perspective, in terms of like specifically song pieces, I would get rid of anything that melodically yeah. is just kind of there, you know, yeah. for set dressing, if you will. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I I love this movie. I've, I've seen it multiple times. I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll watch it again and love it. I just. You know, for the sake of, you know, talking about it. Did yeah. you did you know that in 2008, there was going to be a new musical for this? Were you aware of that? It you didn't mean a happen. new musical movie? Or? Yeah. It, had a, it, it was a screenplay by Emma Thompson. A what? Yes. And, but it never <laughs> happened. But Keira Knightley... Carrie Mulligan and Colin Firth, who I think would be a great Rex, uh, great Higgins, were yeah. among those in consideration for the top roles. I think here Knightley's maybe too on the nose, but Carrie Mulligan I think would be a good choice. But anyways, oh my god, yeah. But but that so that was gonna happen, but it just never happened. But I wonder if like somewhere Emma Thompson has that screenplay. That's just I don't know. Yeah, well, Emma Thompson, in my humble opinion, is a very underrated director and also screenplay writer. So, yeah, I I think that she's great. I think she could knock it out of the park. Yeah, and also just for small little tangent, in my big dream world where I control everything, uh, Carrie Mulligan would be in several musicals at this point, including she would have been my live action Belle in the live action Beauty and the Beast movie. Just saying. Mm But she also would have made an amazing Liza Doolittle. So, you know, I would have been, I would have been okay with all of that personally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think cause, cause I was trying to like cast it, you know, and I was trying to think of who, who would be in it and I could never really find a good comp for Eliza Doolittle, but 
Well, you know who also would be an amazing Eliza Doolittle? Emma Stone. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think she could pull it off. She's like just a little too like comedically. <laughs> she could knock her out of the park, and yeah. um, and I think she could do the. I think she could play the ugly duckling, um, and and, and play both the, both sides of that. But um, I don't know. She's a little too. She might be a little too silly. I don't know. Yeah, I think because like thinking about like at least to me like thinking of um, uh, La La Land and also like I Mm. am so excited for Poor Things. Poor Things, please, I cannot wait. Yeah, I know, and also the favorite, like you know, I I I know she just. (laughs) I I now I'm dreaming about her playing unless it's too little, and I want that to happen. (laughs) She could do it. She could do it. yeah, I, overall my thoughts are this is a great movie. A, a deserved a deserved win. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about what it was up against and and kind of what goes down in history as what should have won and what didn't and all things like that. But um, you know, this is this is it's Hollywood royalty coming together with with um, Broadway royalty and as far as like the the writers and all that, and it's just like this perfect mesh of you know movie musical and it's kind of hits all the right notes and yeah it's just it's loverly yes i <laughs> absolutely agree 100 percent. um this movie had a production budget of 17 million dollars in 1964 63 was shot uh, it was the most expensive film shot in the united states up to that time so and it looks like it and yeah i mean it's got it's the costumes alone but it's um you know, they were putting, you know, they were putting a lot of chips in this basket, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And especially when it comes to, like you said, the costumes and also just some of the set design in this movie is something that, like, continuously makes my jaw drop. Like, again, like we were talking, yeah. I was saying before, like, the flowers in Covent Gardens, like, when they unveil them is right. incredible. The race scene with, yeah. like, all those extras. That's where you see the money the most. And yeah. then obviously, of course, the ball scene with the uh, royal family from Transylvania. Like, all that yeah. stuff. Well, uh, so uh, Cecil um, Baton uh, created 1,500 costumes for mm. the movie, uh, which is crazy. Um, and then I was going to... I had a uh, thing about the studio... Um, where it was filmed because you, you could see there's a couple of times when they're showing the buildings and um you can see like above the buildings like the skyline and it's definitely just yeah. like a stage which i i loved that like i didn't i didn't mind that at all because it really felt more like i kind of like it when it looks like a stage um well because it adds to the effect of it feeling like a broadway show when right. you have that sense of um I guess you could say practical, but also it being kind of hokey in an adorable way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, that makes me more feel like it's artificial. That's the word I want to use. When something feels more artificial in that way, (laughs) it kind of adds like an extra bit of charm to it. I I think so. Like that's, that's why once one of the main reasons why I love an American in Paris so much. Um, But the production designer, Gene Allen was never given a budget with which to work. He just designed and had built all the sets without having to worry about how much they cost. Cause they were just like, just do it. Just, you know, we want it to be 
you know, perfect, which I love that they were allowed to be like very like, you know, careful with it, you know, and, 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 you know, get all the, a lot of times they're just like slashing things left and right. And, um, never happened. I cannot for the life of me find, um, that, that piece of, uh, that trivia about the, the stages and all that and what they built. But, um, do you know who, so Rex Harrison reprises his role, but do you know who the studio wanted first, but they were asking too much? I don't. Peter O'Toole. Really? Fresh I mean, off of Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. But uh, he wanted 400,000. Rex was going to get 200. And neither of them were pleased because Audrey Hepburn got a million. <laughs> <laughs> well, she deserves it. So yeah, good for I, her. I yeah, for, yeah. For real. Yeah, screw it. Yeah, but so, like, you know, the thing with Peter O'Toole is like, I think he would have looked age wise better with her yeah. than Rex Harrison did. But Rex Harrison, compared to Peter O'Toole, again, has that, like, almost Looney Tunes level, like, sliminess to it yeah. that yeah, I yeah. don't think Peter O'Toole does. No, so I don't think so. would have made the character as, like, like, I don't, you know. I think Peter O'Toole's great. I think he's a, a fabulous actor, but I don't, oh, I yeah. think Rex Harrison, he had more of the bones of it, you know. Yeah. So, this one, Best Picture. Rex mm. Harrison won Best Actor in Leading Role. He mm. dedicated his Oscar to his two fair ladies, Julie Andrews and Audrey Edward. Um, <laughs> it won Best Director, Best Cinematography for Color, a color film, Best Art Direction, uh, the set direction for color film. It won Best Costume, Best Sound, Best Music uh, Score. Uh, so those are the eight. It was, And then Stanley Holloway was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Gladys Cooper was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, it was nominated for Best Writing and nominated for Film Editing. And, you know, I, I, it's kind of surprising to me that Gladys um, was was nominated for as for Mrs. Higgins. Um, mm-hmm. It uh, she's, she's the his mom. And she does have, like, one pretty good scene um, towards the end there. But I don't know. It's kind of like a – that was a weird nomination for me. Yeah, maybe that was one of those, like, let's give it to you because your career's been a long time kind sure. of situation. That's the vibe I got from that. And it, do you know, I, I, mean, I should have looked, do you, was she in, did she, was she in the, the, the originate the role of that? I don't believe she was, but I could be wrong. Like, because yeah. I, I think it was only Rex Harrison and I keep forgetting his, his name, but. Stanley Holloway, yeah. Eliza. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were the only two that were from the original production. I gotcha. Yeah, and that from what I was reading, I think that's I think that's what I saw too. So yeah. Anyways, so but nominated this year for Best Picture was Beckett, um, Doctor Strange, Love or High Learn to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, <laughs> Zorba the Greek, and Mary Wild. Poppins. Yeah, which it's funny. Right. Because, uh, because that's why uh, there was a certain uh, kerfuffle, if you will, with Best Actress. Right. right. They were They were like, uh, no, Julie Andrews, it's not going to happen because she's not a name. And then Julie Andrews puts a movie out at the same time and takes away Best Actress from, from Audrey Hepburn. 
Well, and didn't Audrey Hepburn win the Golden Globe for My Fair Lady? I feel like uh, that might have happened. Sounds right, but let me let me verify. But yeah, I I just think that you know it kind of serves him right, kind of thing. But I don't know. I just I I do like um I do like that that Audrey Hepburn's in this role. I I love her in this role. But Julie Andrews kind of got the kind of got that burn. And no, Audrey Hepburn did not win the Golden Globe. She was nominated, but she did not win. Ah, okay. Because I, so important thing I would recommend for you and also for your listeners is there's a really great YouTube channel called Be Kind Rewind. And it's Mm -hmm. this amazing woman who does these incredible like little mini documentaries about every single uh, Best Actress year of the Academy Awards and like the historical significance of it. And mm-hmm. she does an amazing video about the Audrey Hepburn versus uh, Julie Andrews, Andrews of that year. So even though I didn't remember all of it, I highly recommend listening to it because it gives extra context to the insanity of this whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm going to seek that out and watch it. I will also, on that same note, but kind of different. But Audrey, So I love Audrey Hepburn. Um, she is in a horror thriller movie that comes out in like three years after this called wait until dark yes a blind lady being terrorized by like alan arkin and Mm -hmm. it's like a hitchcockian thriller if you haven't seen that definitely watch it um audrey hepburn can do no wrong uh any final thoughts uh, well, first of all, I would say in regards to Audrey Hepburn roles that we also love, I just want to say that if you want to see her also at her peak musical perfection where she's not dubbed, watch mm. Funny Face because Funny Face is fantastic and always makes me really happy. And I think that is the best older actor with her pairing I've ever seen because I mm-hmm. think her and Fred Astaire have genuinely really good chemistry. But yeah. aside from that, I love this movie. Like I said, it is pure comfort, nostalgia for me because it was such a important movie to my family and it still is. And no matter how many times I see it or see the Broadway musical with uh, multiple amazing people in it, like Danny Bernstein and uh, Laura Benanti, it always is amazing and the movie is always amazing. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would say. Perfect. Yeah, that's all for this week. Join me next episode. Dalen's back. Of course, it's a musical. We're talking the sound of music. Um, (laughs) It is not streaming anywhere that I found. It's available to rent digitally. Um, I own it, so I was able to just watch it there. But um, yeah. Oh, it is. It is available to stream on Disney Plus. Where is it? On Disney Plus. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, The searchings let me down. Okay. Yeah. So watch it there or, you know, just support physical media and have it on your shelf. Um, you can find the show on X at Winter West Pod. You can find us on Facebook and the Winter West Podcast. I'm on Letterboxd. Find me over there. Email the show. Tell me what you think. Winter West Podcast at gmail.com. Dalen, where can the people find you? They can find me on all social media platforms as It's Really Dalen with two E's like a film reel. Or you can listen to my podcast, The Faded Real Podcast on SoundCloud. Do all the things, support and love. Uh, big thank you to Casey Townsend at Waterway Music 
for the intro and the outro music, you can find him at waterwaymusicnc.com. Have a lovely day. <laughs> Thank you.